Morning, everyone. So to, to start with, uh, we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, actually, before, I, before we do that, uh, as Stuart mentioned, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, once a month, we're going to answer questions from the congregation. So if you have questions, you can submit those to Jeff, um, like, like Stuart mentioned. And this question comes out of Andrew's sermon three weeks ago that was on uh, winning people to Christ. In the dialogue, there was a discussion regarding alcohol and consumption of alcohol. And so um, Andrew said at that point, well, that's a sermon in and of itself. So today, that's specifically the question that we're going to look at. How does alcohol fit into the Christian's life if it does at all? But before we do that, I'd like to look at 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Uh, so you don't have to turn to it, it's right there. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God <clears throat> may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what does that mean? Well. For us in Genesis House, this right here is how we determine what we do every day, every week. So if we have a question like alcohol or any other question, this is where we turn. Uh, and the, um, Paul says in Timothy that through the word we'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means that this trumps... Um, our traditions, this trumps our emotions, this trumps our personal preferences, um, our pride, and our opinions. So let's keep that in mind as we look at the text. Um, and, and afterwards, we're going to have an extended time of dialogue uh, just because we're going to shorten this portion of it, the, the actual sermon part. Uh, and there will be lots of time where we can all... Uh, dialogue back and forth, um, raise questions. There's going to be some things in here that I won't have covered, but uh, let's let's have a good look at it. So the first thing we're going to look at here, if I can get this to work, turn with me to Amos 9, 13, 14. The Lord has spoken. Oh, actually, before, let's preface this. Uh, the consumption of alcohol itself is not sinful. So I've got a number of um, verses here, and these verses are going to clarify that for us. Did it skip one? Yeah, it skipped one. There we go. It, it skipped one on me. Amos 9, 13, 14. So the Lord has spoken, and he will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. And they will, then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. So this is a, um, a positive example of where God's blessing and faithfulness to Israel <coughs> is um, exemplified in wine. Uh, so let's go to now Deuteronomy 14.23. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So, uh, wine is an acceptable form of tithing in this passage. 
clearly God wouldn't accept wine as a tithe if it was something that's sinful. Um, now let's look at 1 Timothy 5.23. Uh, this is where Paul's talking to Timothy. Apparently Timothy has some ailments, some stomach issues. Um, and Paul encourages Timothy to uh, use wine to help with those ailments. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Again, if wine was sinful, this wouldn't, Paul wouldn't recommend Timothy do this. And we look at Psalm 104, 14, 15. Uh, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes the heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. Uh, if you like, we can look at the, you can look at the rest of uh, Psalm 104. The context is positive uh, things that God is doing for uh, his people. And listed in this, as we see in verses 14 and 15, is wine. So again, um, in this uh, verse, we, we see that wine can be a positive thing. Alcohol can be a positive thing. So, um, we should address one other question regarding this. So you may say, okay, Scripture uh, uses the word wine. Um, there's four passages here we've looked at that uh, present wine in a positive light. Um, and I've, I've, over the years of being a believer, uh, I recall several, several good um, church leaders and preachers that, that I respect um, state that in biblical times, wine was not alcoholic. Uh, I even adopted this belief for a while. Um, but I think it's important that we address this and look into this, see if what, again, what Scripture says regarding uh, whether or not wine is alcoholic. So to start with that, oops. so the word for wine, we're going to look at two passages, just really quick. The word for wine in these two passages is oinos. I'm probably not saying that right, I'm not Greek, but it's spelled O-I-N-O-S. Uh, and you all likely recall the story of when Christ turned water to, into wine in John chapter 2. The word oinos is, uh, is the original word for wine in that passage. And it's also um, the same word that is used in Ephesians 5.18 for wine, as you see up here. So if it was um, not fermented drink, it would not be possible to get drunk on it. So it, um, Paul would not say in Ephesians, do not get dr drunk with wine if it was not a fermented drink. To further that, if we go back to the John chapter 2 story, in verse 21, I don't have it here, but you can turn to it if you like. The groom comes to Christ and says, uh, thank you for uh, what you've done. Um, most uh, hosts leave the best wine till, or leave the, the crummy wine till the end, and they serve the best wine first. Um, and why is that? Well, that's because by the, by the time that everybody's consumed copious amounts of alcohol, they're too inebriated to taste the wine, and so it doesn't matter, so the hosts juggle it around that way. So, um, and then on top of that, um, Deuteronomy 14.26. Um, I don't actually have this one in, so let's just quickly turn there. Uh, 
And if somebody, well, I'll just read it. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. So we see there that wine is put in the same category as other fermented drink, indicating wine is fermented. So as far as the question, was wine in biblical times alcoholic, the answer based on scripture is yes. Um, so is wine sinful? No. How we use alcohol can be sinful. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.3. In the past, you wasted too much time doing what non-believers enjoy. You were guilty of sexual sins, evil desires, drunkenness, wild and drunken parties, and hateful idol worship. So in 1 Peter, we see that drunkenness was a uh, characteristic of um, these individuals' lives uh, prior to their faith in Christianity, faith in Christ, um, and uh, it's recommended that obviously that they do not do that. There's even a stronger verse here, Ephesians 5.18, we looked at this previously to determine whether or not alcohol uh, was fermented or not, um, alcoholic or not. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So. I, I, I likely won't get any pushback on this. Uh, clearly, as believers, we're not to get drunk. So that is one area where um, it's wrong to, uh, how it's wrong to consume alcohol. What else do we have? Um, we should look at, so now somebody may say, okay, how do I know what the difference is between having a few drinks socially and when I'm getting drunk? Uh, the Bible says not to get drunk. Uh, where's the line? How do I know? Let's look at, again, Scripture, Proverbs 23, 29, 35. It lists uh, some characteristics of some individuals who have uh, gotten drunk. Um, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. When it goes down smoothly, in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of a radium. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? So let's just look at it just quick, verse by verse. The first part of the passage, uh, a characteristic of an individual who has gone too far with alcohol, they're depressed. Who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints. Another characteristic, um, who has bloodshot eyes. So, I mean, we've, we can, I'm sure, think of individuals that we've encountered that have been uh, consuming too much alcohol and they likely have bloodshot eyes. Uh, there's delirium. So, they see strange sights and confusing things. Um, your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will imagine confusing things. So that's a characteristic, you know, you've gone too far if that's starting to occur. Uh, it affects, has a negative effect on your five senses. Uh, your head will spin. Um, you will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. Um, and then the last characteristic that we can see here is that you're dull to pain. They hit me. 
you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. So if you encounter any of those characteristics when you're consuming alcohol, then you have broken the, uh, the recommendation in Ephesians uh, 5.18. You're drunk. So then, are there any other times besides drunkenness when believers should not consume alcohol? Um, ironically, when because I've been working through this with uh, the Word and with Andrew for the last week, so I, alcohol is on my radar, if you will. Um, I'm walking up the stairs from downstairs, bringing up the mic stand, and on the door handle on this building, it says, no alcohol behind this point. And I noticed, or noticed it, and I was like, oh, that's funny. Completely forgot to put it in the, in the sermon, but another instance where it's uh, wrong for a believer to consume alcohol is when the law of the land states we can't. So, as it states on the door handle of this very building, it says, uh, no alcohol behind the, beyond this point. So we are not to consume alcohol in public places because the law says so. Uh, also, obviously, we're not consumed to consume alcohol behind the wheel of the vehicle. Those are given, I likely there's no pushback regarding that, so, but I felt it was important to mention it. Um, so then, are there any other times, besides drunkenness and when it's uh, against the law, that believers should not consume alcohol? Let's look at the main lesson. And we can go back to these if I've gone too fast. Lesson three, as believers, as an act of love, we need to be sensitive to another believer's conscience so as to not tempt them to sin in regards to alcohol. Where do we get this? Uh, Romans 14 and 15. So if we can all turn there. Actually, let's do Romans 14, chapter 14, verses 1 to 15. So we're going to look at the majority of the, of the, the passage here. Uh, and if I can have a volunteer to read. Anybody is ready? Maybe Stuart? Look. Yeah? Mine says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another, and another regards every, every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to, the Lord, to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died, and lives again, that he might be Lord to both of the dead and of the living. But you, who do you judge your brother? Or why do you judge your brother? 
Or are you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. And I know, I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if, because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Thank you, Stuart. So what is Paul getting at? Um, he is, is there, there's a unity issue in the church, in the Roman church. Uh, there's divisiveness over certain things. Um, and there, uh, there's some people's opinions that are causing uh, <coughs> dissension. And then there is uh, others' um, liberality in, in their faith that is causing other Christians to stumble. So um, let's look at quickly what it means to be a stumbling block. In verse 13, as you heard Stuart read or likely read yourself, uh, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. When a stronger believer, through their actions, sets a table of temptation for the weaker believer, to violate their conscience by heading into a particular area of life that they believe is wrong between them and God, i.e. sinful. So, uh, we know what a stumbling block is. It's also, I think, important to define what the weaker brother is in this passage. Um, the word weaker is used, uh, and we may assume that that means that um, this is, Paul is saying that this individual is weaker in character, uh, that this individual is uh, weaker in their faith. Um, that is actually not the case. The weaker brother is someone who would be um, tempted to sin when they observe another Christian consuming alcohol. Not uh, a reference to weak in faith or character. Um, it's just an individual who has a more sensitive conscience. Uh, it's clear from the verses that they have a strong desire or a conviction to honor God in everything they do, right down to what they eat and what they drink. So it's, it's got nothing to do with character, it's got nothing to do with faith. Um, you might even argue that they are stronger in faith to some degree because they have such a strong desire to do what God wants. They, they have a, a very sensitive conscience. So, um, it's, let, let's look at what... Uh, in context, what this means, what who the weaker brother is, we've looked at, but what it means to cause somebody to fall. So in verse 14, um, as one who is in who is in the Lord Jesus, I am full, fully convinced that no food in itself is unclean. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Um, So this, this uh, clarifies further uh, weak in, um, as far as more sensitive conscience rather than uh, 
a character or um, weak in faith. Uh, so we should also look at verse 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So in this instance, we're talking about individuals who um, are, have been or are tempted to uh, drink alcohol. An individual, let's say you're at a party or uh, at a restaurant where they serve alcohol, and their previous lifestyle was one that um, this would have been a temptation to them, not just to drink alcohol, but to get drunk, to break uh, the principle in Ephesians 5.18. Um, so they observe uh, you, who they look up to as a strong Christian, um, uh, drinking alcohol, and they think, okay, this is okay to do, but they don't have um, the discipline to stop at one or two drinks, and so they carry forward, and um, because they observed you doing it, they get drunk. Uh, further to that, um, we look at verse 23. This passage is talking about food and alcohol. Verse 23 says, but the man who doubts is condemned if he eats, because um, his eating is not done from faith. So that indicates that the weaker brother is not somebody who has a preference towards it, but rather somebody who, by observing somebody else uh, eat the food sacrificed to idols um, in this passage, um, they would also be tempted to do so. And for the case of our discussion, they would be tempted to consume alcohol and, and get drunk. Uh, so the weaker brother is someone who, when, who would be tempted to sin when they observe another Christian uh, consuming alcohol, not somebody with a sensitivity towards alcohol. Um, we can go back to this lesson, leave that on the board. So just a couple clarifying things. Uh, by no way are we saying that every Christian needs to consume alcohol. If you're not comfortable with it for whatever reason, that's completely fine. Uh, on the flip side, a, an individual cannot force their opinion over another Christian by claiming they are the weaker brother if they are not legitimately tempted to get drunk when they see a fellow Christian consume alcohol or any other uh, thing um, that may be, you know, uh, a preference thing. Um, I don't like the fact that the individual who is up on stage doesn't wear a suit, and that's a preference thing, and so they, they may say, I, I'm sensitive to that, you need to change that. Um, or, uh, I don't like the car you drive, uh, I'm sensitive to that, so you need to change that. Um, I will say, though, that in certain circumstances, this doesn't give us a carte blanche uh, license to consume alcohol anytime. Uh, when, obviously, not when you're drunk, not when it uh, breaks the laws of the land, and not when there's a weaker brother, there may still be some instances where it might be wise to not consume alcohol. If you're um, around individual, an individual or family maybe that's lost uh, uh, someone due to um, an accident where there was a drunk driver involved, it may be smart to abstain from alcohol. Uh, if you have uh, a friend who um, has alcoholism in their past, um, and not for them personally, but somebody in their family was an alcoholic, it may be wise to refrain from drinking alcohol in those instances also. Uh, I'm sure there's questions, uh, some pushback, maybe some verses. Um, we'll open the floor to dialogue now.